You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Millis, Professor of Surgery and Chief of Transplantation at the University of Chicago. We're going to be discussing ethical issues and changes in policy in transplant surgery in China, as well as some of the problems that transplant surgeons are facing in the United States. Thank you, Dr. Millis, for joining us. Could you tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing in China at the present time? The work that I'm doing in China can be summarized by the concept of improving the practice and policy of transplantation in China. And uh, through that, I am working with Vice Minister of Health, Chai Fu Huang, uh, as well as other leading transplant professionals in China. The primary institution that uh, we are working with is uh, Peking Union Medical Center in, in Beijing, as well as uh, two other institutions that are in China that are part of the grant as well. What exactly are some of the changes that are taking place in their policies? This is a period of rapid change in transplant policy in China. Just in the past year, the Vice Minister of Health acknowledged for the first time publicly that the source of their organs for transplantation is executed prisoners. And then following that, he convened a conference of all the transplant centers in China and relayed to them that they would all have to apply to the government in order to be able to continue to do transplants, and also at that time told them the criteria in which they would be judged in regards to being able to continue to do transplants. From those criteria, the number of transplant programs in China has decreased from over 600 to approximately 150 within the past month. In addition, the regulations have been put in place to eliminate China as a destination for transplant tourism by eliminating the ability of the transplant centers in China to transplant foreign nationals. Then in regards to the executed prisoners, they have put in place what is termed a dual-layer consent in which both the prisoner as well as the prisoner's family have to consent in order uh, for the prisoner to be an organ donor. Efforts in the future will be to establish a, a brain death law and then to establish a mechanism of donor information dissemination as well as matching of these organs on medical criteria rather than relationships criteria. Well, if they lose their major source of donors, which are prisoners, how do the Chinese plan to replace the organs that they'll be losing? I think it'll be through two sources, a living donation as well as through development of their brain death system. China has 250,000 traffic fatalities per year, and the utilization of these potential donors as organ donors would far outpace the number of organs that are able to be recovered from the executed prisoners. Certainly in my practice, I told my patients who were waiting for organs to be near the hospital on days or holidays that were heavily trafficked in the United States. There's certainly uh, ups and downs in regards to organ donation, and when people are out drinking and driving, one can certainly see a spike in organ donation and then, and then transplantation. In China, however, people believe that they live to their last breath and also that they should be buried whole and that their organs should not be separated from them prior to death. How do you plan, or how does China plan to deal with this? China will deal with it similar to the way other societies have dealt with social change and with public education, understanding, increased desire to change China as a whole right now. I mean, if you go to China today, comparison to even to five years ago, the changes are dramatic. And so there's certainly a willingness to change, and even some of those 
deep, what we believe deep socially held feelings change as well. In my travels, the younger generation does not hold the same principle of the body having to be whole at the time of, of burial and understand the fact that brain death is death, and at that point, the soul is, is now transferred on, and that if there can be use for the deceased organs, then it would be better for society. Well, China certainly isn't the only country short of organs. How do you, as a surgeon and part of the medical community, see our best chance to increase the number of donors that even our own country desperately needs? In the past several years, there's been emphasis on, within the transplant community, of identifying best practices and trying to publicize those best practices and be able to broaden them out into other areas. From a medical point of view, there have been ways to improve the utilization of organs by transplanting across certain areas that previously had thought to be uh, medically unsuitable for transplantation, such as utilizing different protocols to reduce the level of antibodies in the recipient to allow a transplant to be performed uh, that previously would have been thought to be doomed to failure. Another avenue of improving utilization has been the paired donor exchange, primarily used in kidney transplantation, in which if there are living donors available, but those living donors are not suitable matches for the presumed recipient, but a similar situation occurs in which another pair of donors, but the donor for pair B is a suitable donor for for the recipient of pair A, and the donor for pair A is is a suitable donor for recipient B, then that situation, that matched paired exchange, can proceed. And although first proposed approximately a decade ago, the utilization of that had been stymied, not eliminated, but stymied because there wasn't a legislative background in order to allow that to proceed. The legislative background up until this, till very recently, was that there couldn't be anything of value exchanged for organ donation. And by having a paired system, there was obviously something of value being exchanged. Recently, the U.S. Legislature passed a law uh, that allowed, that gave the legal principle in order for this to proceed in a, in a broader fashion. I believe that's called the Norwood Living Organ Donation Act, and actually, uh, this I believe Representative Norwood was a recipient of an organ. That's correct. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and my guest is Dr. Michael Millis, professor of surgery and chief of transplantation at the University of Chicago. There is some discussion about a recipient giving his organ to somebody on the list when he is not a match for his selected donor, which allows his donor to jump to the top of the list. How do you feel about that particular concept? Allow his recipient to jump to the top of the list. That's right. Anything that would encourage living donation to meet part of the demand that we have in transplantation is something that we should encourage. And so I actually support that type of concept in order to take care of some of the demand. And in reality, uh, in regards to living donation and a specific recipient, as long as the donor fulfills the criteria and the kidney is able to be utilized, then I think that uh, we should recognize that that relationship, even though from a medical point of view wasn't able to be 
given to the uh, recipient uh, that obviously the donor had hoped initially. The problem with paired exchanges, of course, deals with people who are A and B blood type, and the O recipient is really kind of left behind. Do you feel that there's a question of justice in this particular system? I think that in many areas as we get into, then biology has given us certain principles that we have to to deal with. And although uh, one could look at it as that people uh, who are born with blood group O are discriminated against in this type of of system, the other way to look at that is, is that if we ultimately can utilize maximum number of organs through whatever systems that we have, then those few O organs that would have gone into a potentially an A or a B wouldn't do that and would allow for those, those organs to be put into people with O anyway. So, indeed, we wouldn't have had a transplant match in any case. Right. There is a, a website, matchingdonor.com, which certainly isn't the only one of this sort, where solicitations for donations are made on a website on the Internet. How do you feel about this particular modality of increasing donations? Society changes, and 20 years ago we didn't have ways to get to know or to broadcast our our desires the way that we currently do today. So society changes, and I think that we our practice has to change with it. The concern that medical professionals have with with these types of systems, I don't think is with necessarily the relationship, but is with the potential for compensation of a donor is certainly possible that donors go onto these sites in order to potentially find people who would be willing to pay for for their their organ. So medical profession as well as legally, there's a problem with that philosophy. So I don't think that we have a problem embracing the concept that people meet in a variety of different ways in today's world, but we have a problem if there's a potentially increased risk of organs being sold. There is this problem that certain recipients would not be on a level playing field in that they don't have access to Internet websites or that kind of sophistication. Do you feel that this eliminates this concept then? In transplantation, we try to be extraordinarily equitable in regards to the recipients that we we select and try not to base that on any other criteria other than medical. Given that many transplant procedures are dealing with life and death, I think we have the ethical mandate in order to try to do that. Having said that, there are certainly financial barriers, both in terms of getting to be a recipient as well as in the post-transplant period, being able to afford the transplant uh, the immunosuppressants that are required after transplantation that one cannot say that transplantation is blind in regards to one's access to either money or other uh, technology. So it's concerning that it does indeed bring another level of potential inequities uh, to the system that is concerning. On the other hand, just as a family who has 10 brothers and sisters has the potential of being able to find a living donor much more easily than a, a single sibling, we have to accept that there are some differences in in regards to people's ability to identify uh, donors. In a 1984, Representative Al Gore, who went on to bigger and better things, suggested that there should be possibly some incentivizing when generosity of spirit was not enough to cause a donor to come forward. 
How do you feel about this? Well, this is a big debate in the medical community as well as the legal community in regards to whether if one were to incentivize certain aspects of the process, whether the actual number of organ donors might decrease because the concept of gifting uh, would be left behind. It's never been tried, at least in the United States, on any trial areas, any test areas, uh, to determine if, if that's the case. But there's certainly concern that many of our organ donors do so uh, because of the gift concept and that bringing in some financial incentives or other incentives, whether they may or not be directly money involved, would eliminate and decrease that concept of gifting. I want to thank Dr. Michael Millis, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing ethical changes in policy in transplant surgery in China, as well as the various modalities to increase the amount of donors that we need in our own country. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.